You are listening to the online sermon ministry of Calvary Baptist Church in the Dalles, Oregon. Thank you for joining us as we search Holy Scripture together in order to edify the church, proclaim the gospel, and glorify God. Well, hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, there you are. Uh, good to be with you. I, we've got a lot of scripture to cover today, so I've got a lot of scripture, and I've got really good news for you this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians 2, bouncing back to Ephesians 1 a little bit, but we're going to continue in our series on the church, and I just want you to hear this morning, and I'll do a little bit of review from last week, but what Jesus is building, what Jesus is building in the church should then form in us both celebration and motivation. So if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, I want you to listen for those things to celebrate and those things that would motivate you in what Jesus is doing in building his church, okay? Celebration, motivation. And, and thank you for being here, by the way. This, is, this weather is actually quite pleasant. I, this is my, my favorite morning we've had so far as far as weather. Uh, so I won't be sweating today while I preach, so I'm enjoying this. Uh, but, but just as... You, y'all hear that or is it just me? Okay, you hear it too. Just want to call attention to it, and uh, yeah, we'll be fine together. It'll be good. Okay, let me just give you a scenario. Someone offers you front row tickets to the Civil War game. So whether you're, you know, an Oregon State fan or a University of Oregon fan, front row tickets to the Civil War. One problem, it's pouring down rain and kind of cold. You staying home? You're going. And you're going to celebrate. We can do anything in the name of sports, it seems like. We're in the name of outdoor recreation. And so how much more can we do as the church gathered in the name of Jesus, okay? Amen? All right, I'm glad you're here. If you stayed home today because it was 65 degrees, uh, I will be praying for you, all right? Good to see you guys. So last week we started a series called Foundations, Christ the Cornerstone. And this is so important for us as a church to focus on and think about what a church is because this tells us what a church is and what a church does out of Ephesians 2. And we live in a time, and in my own lifetime, the, the reputation and even uh, our understanding of what a church is seems to have shifted. That culturally there's just sort of a low view of church. And I've seen it even in my own lifetime, in the last 30 years that I've been working in churches. And so when I'm on an airplane and the conversation goes to, hey, what do you do for a living? And I tell people I'm a pastor 30 years ago or 30 years ago that I worked in a church, just the reaction is so much different today. And what used to be more like, oh, that's, that, cool, tell me about that. Now it's more like incredulous. You're a what? I've never met one. And then they, they try to say politely, like, how did you get into doing that thing? When the, what they're really saying is, why? Why would you do that? The church used to be the center, right, of the community. Literally built in the center of a town and all of the social life of that area might have funneled through that church. And even if you weren't a believer, everyone still saw and recognized the value of true Christian faith. And things have changed. Even believers, even people who go to church or who are part of the church, who call themselves Christians, rarely attend. And it's become optional and convenient. We seem to pick churches these days like restaurants, right? Whoever's whoever's serving up my favorite meal. We leave churches over minor issues and disagreements. 
And so I really think that we've lost sight of what a church is. What is the heart of a church and what a church does. And honestly, none of us are immune to that. You want me to switch? Is it that bad? All right. Also, check. Hey, forgive my hair as well. I know it hasn't been cut in a while, but uh, I'm just trying to be more like Jesus in, in every way. None of us are immune to this, right? This, this cultural, convenient understanding of church. Uh, when I, a few years ago, uh, Kara and I, we'd been, we planted a church. We were nine years into it. We went on a sabbatical. And so for four months, I was out of ministry. And instead of attending our own church, which I, I probably wouldn't have been able to do and still be in true sabbatical rest, we would attend other churches or just stay home and worship as a family. And having been in churches like every Sunday and every Sunday evening and even Wednesday, most of my life, finally I got it. I was like, oh, this is pretty nice. <laughs> I can stay home. I can show up and no one knows me and I can just partake. But in that mindset, we miss, you know, what a church is, what a church does. And so let's review our, just our anchor theme verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Where Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he writes this, that you, you then are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that's incredible. There's a lot to celebrate in there. We're going to focus on the first verse of that. Last week we said, big picture, just the church is built on Jesus. Point two was? It's a test. I had to take a driving test this last week just to become an Oregon resident. And uh, so I think we can pass a little test here. The church is built on who? I'll give you the easy answer. Church is built on Jesus by four. See there, that was much easier than my driving test. The church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. We went to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, and reminded ourselves that all things were created by him, through him, for him. That in Jesus all things hold together. And then in verse 18 of Colossians chapter 1, for Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. That's what Jesus is doing in building his church. He's reconciling people back to God. Ephesians 3, we looked at verse 10 and 11, that through the church, through the people, through the body, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. The first verse of our passage, Ephesians 2.19, here's how this is set up. So then you, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so there's this great contrast, right? You, you're, no longer, you're no longer strangers, right? You're not, you're not an alien. You're not a foreigner. You're not an outsider. Instead, in Christ, you are a citizen. 
a saint, a member of the household of God. It's a shift in what Jesus does in building the church. And so here's something for you to celebrate. This is the miracle of the gospel. What God has done in Christ. He has moved you from this place of being a stranger, of being an alien, outside of the covenant, outside of the blessings, into his very body. And so we're going to look at this uh, through Ephesians. And so if you've got your Bible in front of you, Ephesians 1 and 2, let's look at this, this shift. And it truly is a, a, just a radical miracle that you are moved from being an enemy of God to becoming far, part of his family, a friend of God. And so in the book of Ephesians, and, and tonight I'm going to challenge you, Christian, go home and read the whole book of Ephesians tonight. It won't take you that long, six chapters. And you, your mind will be blown there's so much to celebrate what God has done in Christ. And so Paul starts out this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, with this big blessing. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, where? In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's amazing. We have everything we need in Christ, every spiritual blessing. Even as he chose us, in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Celebrate that. Before the God of creation, you, in Christ, are seen as holy and blameless. He did this in love, verse 5, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I love that verse. I'm adopted. My parents chose me. Now, they did get a phone call like, hey, we've, we've got a boy down here. Do you guys want him? Like, just swing by. Adoption was a lot different uh, when I was a kid. But they chose me, and they, they gave me their name, and they've brought me into their family. This is what God does for us in Jesus. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I love that word. God is not stingy with his grace and his love. It's a deluge, a downpour. This is literally me at Thanksgiving. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the Thanksgiving meal is, is the gravy, right? And the gravy doesn't just go on the turkey. It goes on everything. And then to top it off, we became big fans of hollandaise sauce, which was just on asparagus at Thanksgiving. And now I use hollandaise sauce, which is just butter and fat and goodness. And now that becomes my gravy. And do you know what I do? I lavish it. I'm not stingy. I just pour it out and saturate my meal. This is the word Paul wants you to, to hear and feel. What God has done in Christ, he has lavished this upon you. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. This isn't just a random thing that happened. This is God's good plan for the completion, the consummation of all things. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. In him, verse 11, we have an inheritance. Guess what? Good news. You're rich. God owns everything and gives you and me everything in Christ, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also. Christian, is your, is your faith 
weary? Are you in doubt about what happens when you die? Read this verse. Know that redemption through his blood, forgiveness has been lavished on you. And then hear the word of God say, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's some stuff to celebrate. That is better than a touchdown, I'm, I'm going to say. Just slightly, right? And so that is what God has done in Christ. That's actually the after. Paul leads with it, and then he comes back to the before. Here's the shift. Verse two, or chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That was me. That was you. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. That was our inheritance. Children of wrath, that we would inherit wrath. Like the rest of mankind, and here's maybe the most hopeful promise in all of Scripture, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Celebrate these things. In the coming ages he will show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here's some really good news. By grace you've been saved through faith. There's literally nothing you could do or could have done. Not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. There's, a, there's just a, a pile, a mountain of both celebration and motivation. And so this is how Jesus is building his church, by Jesus, on Jesus, for Jesus. He's doing this by rescuing people like you and me and taking us from this place of enemy, of death, and bringing us into life and light, making us alive in him. And then he calls us citizens. We belong to his kingdom. Saints, along with the saints, members of the house of God. And so remember we said the church is a building, or not a building, a people, just making sure you're awake. Church is not a building. It is a people. This may be evident every Sunday as we gather outside of our building. That this, this is the gathering of the church. Ephesians 5.25 Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus doesn't buy, die for buildings or budgets or ministries, he dies for people. All those things are good and can be helpful. May we never forget that people are the mission. And Jesus loves people, gives himself up for his bride. He loves sinners, those who are dead, those who are enemies. He brings them to life. That's the heart of the gospel, that God is claiming a people for himself to reflect his glory and in love forgive sins and calls us out of darkness and death in the light in life. That's good news. 
And I just want to encourage you as, you as you get the opportunity to engage in culture, whether it's in social media or face-to-face. Like, so it seems like today, Christians, so many of us are quick to feel like we're John the Baptist and we've got to proclaim that the ax is at the root, right, and that judgment and wrath are coming. And those things are totally true. But the heart of the gospel, right, the mystery and the message of the gospel is not the wrath of God. It's not that people can be enemies of God or that God will pour out his wrath on sin. Like that, that, everyone has a sense of that. Throughout all time, every religion has an understanding of being at odds or the concept of the anger of God's. The beauty and the truly unique message of Christianity is that God himself fixes that problem. That Jesus satisfies the curse he takes the cup and in this provides forgiveness of sins and redemption and calls us into his kingdom i was listening this morning and i'm glad bobby uh, led with poetry because then i can i can join in that with him here's here's a poem it's really a song lyric from Dustin kensrew and he writes this my one comfort my one comfort i don't know about you i'm a pretty I live a pretty comfortable life. It's amazing how much I find to complain about. And he says, but my one comfort, both in life and death, is that I am not my own. I was bought with blood, and I confess, I belong to you alone. By the Father's good decree, Jesus, you've delivered me. By your spirit set me free to follow you. Jesus is building his church through this work of redemption and is adding you and adding me and adding individuals into his body. The language in the, in the New Testament around the church, the metaphors used are both body and temple. You see it in this passage in Ephesians 2 together. You are, he, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In Romans 12, he writes, though we are many, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so there's next week and this week together that individually we, we belong to the body. We become part of the church as individuals. And then in that, there's this unity in this picture of the togetherness, the community. And so we'll cover community next week. But a church is, is not simply a club that you can join, but a body that you are part of. It's why we celebrate membership here. That's why we promote membership here. And, and as a matter of fact, I want to give you this copy if you're curious. Like, I'm not a member here. I'd, I'd like to know about that. I would, I'll give anyone a copy of this book. We have extras inside. But it says, I am a church member. It's one of the things we hand out as we talk about what it means and why, why we would call people to join this church. To be individually members of one body. And in here, we, we learn things like the purpose of this is to function as a member of a body. That this becomes family. And that we will make unity in Jesus our priority. And that we won't let church be about our own preferences or our own desires because it exists for Jesus. All of these values reflect that the church is, is just not an organization. It's not just a club. It's not just a building. It is a body being formed in the person and work of Jesus. And so the church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus, and he uses us. He, we are pieces of that. He brings us into his body as citizens, saints, and members. If you can flip to 1 Peter 2, there's a beautiful image of this 
building at work this process. So first Peter two, chapter four, uh, chapter two, verse four and five. And Peter writes this. As you come to him, him, Jesus. Remember, he's the foundation, the stone that the builders rejected. And so Peter writes, as, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's amazing if you think of, of the imagery of the human heart and the human condition all throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, that we have hearts of stone, <laughs> that, that we're a hard-hearted, dead, stone-hearted person, and yet through Jesus you become living stones, new hearts given the life of Christ, and then built together into a spiritual house. Man, God is so good. Look what God has done for you in Jesus. That's something to celebrate. Right, let me give you some motivation as we go into worship and song together. Through all of this, both as a body and as individuals, Jesus does something incredible. He, he uses you and I. He transforms us to become witnesses. That the church becomes God's plan to reveal the wisdom of God. We declare the glory of what Jesus has done. Do you think of yourself that way as, as a witness? Like called to testify. Wow, that was quick. I still got like 10 minutes to go, but play a little music behind me. We'll, we'll figure it out. When Karen and I candidated, man, it seems like we started about a year ago. One of the things that drew us to this church, to this body of people, was story after story of, of adults and children coming to faith because of your witness, because of you sharing what God has done in you. It was happening here, and we longed to be part of that. That It was evident that God is at work, and we wanted to, to be in that with you. And that work continues, that God is building his church, not the building itself, but the living stones into his spiritual house. And so if, if COVID's thrown you off your game, if you've forgotten what it's like to be a witness, to, to just testify, bear witness to just how good God is, go home tonight, read Ephesians. You can't be stopped. You'll be on the phone calling your friends, your family, your neighbors. Look what God has done in Christ. And if you need more motivation, I just I want to beg you, as we baptize Wesley this morning, I want you to, to see this and think of, of not only what God has done in him, but what God longs to do in this community. That it is people that are at stake. I want to encourage you, if you're feeling uh, like you lack the words or you lack the tools to bear witness, you don't need a PhD in Christology to bear witness to what God has done. You really, truly don't. And it, it n never fails to amaze me how many people say, like, well, I just don't know enough about the gospel to share my faith. And I, it's like, well, you know enough to, like, like, trust your soul to eternity with it, right? So you must know something. If you're going to stake your eternal soul on the gospel, you must know enough to be able to just to pass that on, to be like the Samaritan woman in John 4. 
Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Come, come see the Christ, the Messiah, the only one who makes sense of my life. Or like the blind man in John 9, doesn't even know who Jesus is. And he just stands up and bears witness saying, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. That we can do this because of what God has done in Christ. And this is his plan uh, to redeem, restore, and bring all people back to themselves. Amen? Amen. We get to see it uh, on display this morning in baptism. Uh, Would you join us in worship together? And Bobby, will you lead us? I'll pray. Father, bless us in this. Make us a people of great joy. Because what you have done in Christ, that in building your church, you take lost, broken enemies. You've done that in me, and you've done that in, in the people here. And Father, give us joy. May we celebrate and worship you in this. And make us your witnesses. That we would proclaim your goodness and your glory. Empower us by your spirit to do these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.